Hello and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study here at Celebration Church. All of those are here as well as those at our campuses over in Stevens Point and Appleton, those who watch us online as well. We are in Colossians, the uh, second chapter. It's been a couple of weeks. Pastor Joe was filling in. How do you do? Is he okay? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that old geezer. So we are uh, working our way through the New Testament. We've been following through the book of Acts, the life of uh, Paul the Apostle, his third missionary journey. He gets arrested, drug all the way back in dramatic fashion as we read that, and now is at Rome. Uh, the book of Acts stops recording at that point, uh, and some debate as to whether or not after two years he was then martyred or if he was released and then rearrested and martyred, but at any point event, he ends up at Rome, and that's the end. Um, so we are reading these letters that he's now writing from prison while he's in Rome. And Colossians is a Colossae, a town he's never actually been to, which is here. He'd been next door to Laodicea, but uh, he'd heard about them and is writing this letter to them. <clears throat> we are now in the second chapter. We left off at verse 18, but we'll back up a little bit, get a running start again. Verse 16, chapter 2, verse 16, and writing practical instructions to the Christian church. I actually enjoy these letters, I think, more than any of them. Uh, now, is he just, he stopped a lot of the big fighting, although he still talks about it even now, about the Old Testament and the law and circumcision and all these big debates that they had. Uh, now, in, this, in these letters, series of letters, he's writing to the church, uh, bringing out some great theological aspects of who we are as Christians and just practical advice about how we should live our Christian life. You want to know how you live your Christian life? Uh, these books, as we get into Colossians and Ephesians, and, and those really start spelling it out in very clear terms, what Christianity is all about. And uh, I think it's rather fascinating. Anyway, so we are in uh, the 16th verse now. He says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or Sabbath day. Uh, here he's building on the fact that he's been encouraging the church all this time. Break free from the Old Testament law. And, uh, and we walk now under the law of grace in Christ. And we don't live by all these rules and regulations that Moses had imposed on the people. Um, uh, it's fascinating to me how many Christians are drawn back to that. It's stunning, really. I, I've never understood it for some bizarre reason. There's a part in a lot of people that wants someone to tell them what to do every step of the way. And they like that Old Testament thing where it tells you when to work, when not to work, when you can do this, when you couldn't, when you could make love to your wife, when you could. I mean, they were detailed into everything at an incredible level. What you could eat, what you couldn't eat. I mean, just, and for some bizarre reason, there's people who were drawn to that insanity. I think it's insanity. Why anybody want to do that? But they, clearly, they do. It's never been a struggle of mine. <laughs> I have enough just getting out of bed in the morning without working about all those details. <clears throat> and about these Sabbath days and all these religious festivals, uh, there are, they, he says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. 
And that's one of the things that a lot of these people they'll do is they, they celebrate these Old Testament special days. They do try to say it's a shadow of what was come, but I don't know, I get real uncomfortable when they do that. They do this a lot in certain denominations. They do this a lot on Christian television. You know, if there's a special, you know, you know, uh, year of Jubilee. This is a year of Jubilee. We need to realize God's going to do great things this year because this is a year of Jubilee. And there's all these Old Testament things. Stop! God is not going to move any more special this year than he did last year. Somebody say amen. amen. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and until we have the year of Jubilee. Now, forever. It doesn't change, all right? They like to get all into that. I just stare. I, just, I don't get it. I don't get it. Don't want to get it. All right. He says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility uh, and the worship of angels disqualify you. Know, we talked about that idea of worshiping angels and stuff. And um, Why does it disqualify you? Keep, keep reading. Such a person goes into great detail about what they've seen, these visions, whether they're all puffed up and proud with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head. That's the point. From whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. The head is Christ. The idea of getting off onto all these other tangents pulls you away from or disconnects you from the head. Now, this is where uh, we differ from, for example, like Catholic teaching. Now, before I get into this, let me just state unequivocally that we are not anti-Catholic. We're not anti-much of anything except sin, all right? Uh, and even then, we're gracious and understanding. <laughs> so we don't hate anybody, but we don't agree with them. We are not Catholics, all right? We are Protestants. Let me explain to you what some of the major differences are. Touched on here. We don't pray to angels. We don't pray to saints. We don't talk to his mom. We don't put in all these special sides because all of this stuff, as Paul is teaching, will pull you away from the head, which is Christ. We're supposed, our whole connection and focus is supposed to be with Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All right? I am the way that all this stuff works. That's the glorious thing. You don't have to make an appointment with his mom to get in to see him. Somebody say amen. amen. All right, now. You're Catholic watching, you're already ticked at me, but don't get mad. I mean, we're not Catholics. All right, that's what Catholics do. We think they're wrong, quite frankly. They think we're wrong. Uh, it is what it is. I will say this. We are almost a good, we're at least halfway through now, the, the uh, New Testament. How many times have you heard him talk about praying to saints? How many times have they mentioned so far, even mentioned Mary? One time. Uh, in the uh, beginning in the book of Acts, just mentioned that she was there in the upper room. And I think there might be another mention coming, but there, there's all this stuff that they, you know, you don't hear anything about purgatory. You don't hear anything about praying to angels. You know, all the things that make up the bulk of Catholic teaching is virtually non-existent in the New Testament. Now, in their defense, and I, it's probably not a good word to use defense approach. Uh, in their, their explanation of it, is they believe that popes, whatever pope says, is as important as the Bible. We disagree with that. We don't think that's true. We think that whatever popes or councils that came along later 
uh, did what Paul warned the church, which is to be pulled away unto things that were distracting and had nothing to do with true Christianity. We think that centralized religion did exactly what Paul warned against, and this caused the big reformation in the 1500s when Martin Luther and everybody broke away from the church, and since then you got all the Protestants and the Catholics. And, you know, we just disagree with each other. I, we should not be shooting each other or killing each other or hating each other. You know, that is crazy. Uh, if you read the church history, it's highly disturbing. You know, I remember I was, I was reading this, watching this documentary about Martin Luther, and of course it was produced by the Lutherans, so it was very pro-Martin Luther. It made the Catholics just look evil, and the, how the Catholics persecuted him and killed him and all that. I said, how horrible is that? How horrible? And then I kept reading later as I went online to study it, how then the Lutherans then killed all the Baptists, because <laughs> they couldn't stand the Baptists, and how... You know, the Calvinists killed people who disagreed with them and burned some guy at the stake. I mean, apparently it was like the in thing for hundreds of years for Christians to kill people they didn't agree with. What the heck was that all about? I mean, it just, yeah, it doesn't seem right, she says. <laughs> That's an understatement. That doesn't seem right. Yes, we should not be killing people we disagree with. All right, if you disagree with them, then disagree with them. So What? It was so threatening, even some of the great people that we think so highly of, you know, even during the, the second great awakening in America, which is a historical fact of this massive revival that happened in the United States during the 1800s. Uh, even some of these great leaders, that evangelicals, yeah, it'd be hardcore evangelical to even know who these people are, but that we revere, they were horrible to each other and threatened each other. And said, if you come preach in my area, we're going to call out the militia, militia and meet you at the, at the border and put holes in your head. Well, that doesn't sound right either, does it? You know, I was like, what the heck? I don't know. You know, I guess they thought they were fighting so much for righteousness that we should kill people to keep away evil. No, for heaven's sakes, especially when no one's threatening you physically. So there's a lot of really bad history out there. The good news is at the end of the day, that stuff has all been forgotten and the true cause and measures of Christ has gone forward, which is in love, and we don't kill people. Somebody say amen. Okay. We do, however, disagree with people. And I'm sure they disagree with us. Uh, again, we're not anti-Catholic, but we are not Catholic. And why we don't do these things is you don't read about the bulk of those practices that I just mentioned you don't see them in the New Testament. They just don't exist. It was all added sometimes hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. And in my opinion, and in most Protestants' opinion, they got off track and started adding things that weren't supposed to be there in the first place. So at some point, Christianity said, listen, we need to go back to a standard. There needs to be a standard that we follow faith by. And that standard is the Bible. And if we don't see it here, we generally don't accept it. Uh, so that's why we think the way that we think. Anyway, there you have it. Then he goes on to warn, warn about uh, religiosity. He says, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Now, the world he's talking about is this, you know, religious expression kind of thing that is just do's and don'ts uh, that really don't have anything to do with true faith. He says, why do you do that? Rules like, Verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. 
these rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. They seem reasonable. See, that's the thing with legalism. Legalism seems reasonable, but at the end of the day, it's still legalism. And if you're not sure what legalism is, let me give you an analogy I've floated many times before, and that is this. Let's say the rule is your children should not play in the street. That's a reasonable, <laughs> that's reasonable, a reasonable rule. You don't want them getting hurt. So that's the rule. Don't play in the street. A legalist comes along and says, well, then we need to have a rule where they can't play outside. Because if they play outside, they'll feel tempted to play in the street and get run over. So then another legalist comes in and says, yes, they have to stay inside, but you have to keep the curtains closed. Because if you open the curtains, they're going to see outside and be tempted to go outside. And they'll play outside and they'll wind up in the street and get run over by my Mack truck. And another legalist will come around and say, listen, the truth is children should only play in the basement. Because if they play upstairs, there's, even though the curtains are closed, they're going to feel tempted to look through the curtains. They'll see there's a yard out there. They're going to go out and play in the yard and play in the street and get run over by a Mack truck. All right? So then you got a bunch of kids that are pale white, you know, with weird looking eyes, kind of like zombies because they've never seen the light of day. Uh, and, and serious vitamin D deficiencies and all kinds of physical problems because we're doing righteousness. We're trying to stay away from the Mack trucks in the road. Now, Christians have been famous for this kind of absurd thinking for a very long time, and many still hold to it. One of the most famous ones, alive and active yet to this day in America, pretty much only in America, you don't find this almost anywhere in Christianity outside of America, but it's the huge prohibition against alcohol in most evangelical churches. Uh, the Bible doesn't say you can't drink. The Bible says you shouldn't get drunk, all right? And there's a big difference. Maybe not in Wisconsin, but generally speaking, <laughs> there's actually an in-between where you can actually drink and not get hammered, all right? Uh, so, of course, the legalists uh, in the evangelical churches assume that, well, they can't touch any alcohol because if you touch any alcohol, then you'll be tempted to... See, legalism kicks in. And then the next one is you can't go to a restaurant that has a bar in it. Now, you remember this stuff. We're raising this stupidity. Uh, because if you go into a restaurant that has a bar in it, you'll be tempted to go to the bar, take a drink, and then become an alcoholic and go home and beat your wife. All right? And then, you know, then you got to the point where you could even drive by places like that because you're drive by places like you'd be tempted to go in and get a hamburger, which is next to the bar, and you get a bed and you go home and beat your wife. All right, so they became legalistic pinheads. And even to this day, the bulk of teaching in evangelical churches only in the United States of America tend to be made of pinheads who are legalistic idiots. Uh, they are appalled. You should see the number of churches I go to when we talk about the fact that we actually serve wine at communion. They're mortified. You do that? Yeah, because in their mind, you can't do that. Because if you take a little bit of wine, you'll be so out of control, in a thimble like that, that you'll run over to a restaurant, grab a burger, stop and get a couple of shots of whiskey, go home and beat your wife. <laughs> Pinheads. All right? And, uh, 
And, and seriously, it, it's almost uniquely a, Christian, a United States thing. You go to almost any other country, right? Almost any other country. They don't, even hardcore Pentecostals and Baptists will take you out for a beer after the service. All right? They don't think that way because it's, I don't know, stupid. All right? It's stupid thinking. I reject the stupid thinking. And there's people who literally don't come to our church because we serve a little thing of that. To them, they think it's, you know, shots of vodka that we're passing around and you know, going home and beating our wives. Oh, that's just one. That's still active to this day and still stupid to this day. The history by this is quite fascinating. I wish I had time to, to get into it. I'll, I'll go in there a little bit. But do you know that one of the main reasons, in my opinion, that the church lost its voice in America is because of that stupid thinking? In the beginning of this country, the most powerful political voice in this country was the church. Any of them, all of them. If the church had not been behind the call to revolution, the revolution would have never happened. If the church had not been behind the call to uh, ab abolitionism, of getting rid of slavery, there would have never been a rise. I mean, when the church spoke, man, it was a big stinking deal. Well, at the turn of the 1900s, the church became obsessed with female issues. This was the beginning of the feminization of Christianity, which in the last 10 years or so, the church is starting to pull itself away from such stupidity, but it became obsessed with female perspectives. And at that time, women were convinced that the evils and the struggles of their life was because their husbands drank, because all these bars, and, they wanted, and rather than uh, trying to change people's hearts, they wanted to change the rules, so they passed a constitutional amendment. You know how hard it is to pass a constitutional amendment? But when the church said, we need a constitutional amendment, Stand up. Yes, sir. And they pushed it through. It's called prohibition. It was, by and large, the stupidest thing the church has ever done in this country. It ended in an unmitigated disaster to where then a few years later, they had to pass another constitutional amendment to get rid of the last one. To get rid of it. And to this day, evangelical Christians, as far as I know, have never apologized for it. In fact, they still think they're right. And that's why it's only in this country. You know, Baptists, they still think, oh, what's the right thing to do? Pentecost, oh, it's absolutely the right thing to do. And then they're pinheads. And ever since then, the church says, boo, and nobody does anything. They totally lost their credibility with the American public. So when it came to issues that we really should have been caring about, and we try to raise our voices against horrors like abortion or, you know, getting rid of God in public life and all that, nah, nobody listens to church anymore. And it all started there. You can go right back there from that moment on. It was, to this day, the classic stupidest thing the modern church has ever done and sadly, the bulk of them still do it. We do not. It is absurd. Uh, and more and more of them are getting away from it. You're seeing everyone everywhere I go, they're starting to pull away from it because they all, you know, they all learn how to, you know, read the Bible and found out that's not what the Bible says. And uh, anyway, that's just one. Now, that's the stupidest one. We had many other ones. We had rules against playing cards. You couldn't have a deck of cards in your house because if you played go fish, you're going to wind up at the casino. 
and, and, and uh, get drunk and go home and beat your wife. Somehow they all kind of, <laughs> kind of all work together there somehow. Uh, you, you can do anything. I mean, the, the, the list, I mean, it's just, it was unbelievable. <laughs> you know, you couldn't get records, you know, because then you'd be tempted to dance. And dancing, of course, leads to sex. The logic is, was quite stunning of how, you know, the old joke is, you know why? <laughs> Should I tell this joke? It's all joke. You know why Baptists don't have sex standing up? Why? Because it might lead to dancing. That's the joke, all right? I mean, <laughs> it's an old joke. And if you're offended, get over it, okay? I, apo I apologize very shallowly, but I apologize. All right. Because of that, that kind of thinking, and it just became just ridiculous, you know, because if you start dancing, that's going to lead to sex. That's why yeah, you got the reverse of that. Okay. So, uh, and, and on and on. And, and then, you know, the version of stupid that we've, we've had is, it just goes, it's beyond. Comfort. You remember backward masking? Do you remember this one? This brilliant thinking? They're, evangelicals were convinced. I am an evangelical. You think I hate them, but I don't. I just hate stupid. And because I am one of them, I can slap them. All right. But uh, they were convinced that there were backward messages from the devil on records. You remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So if you played the thing backwards, I think it said Satan is a wonderful person. Or whatever. So they were convinced. I mean, it was just stupid. There was no backward masking. There was a lot of... <laughs> so you got to not do that because if you listen to that, then the message of Satan will get in your head backwards and you'll fall on your head and it'll turn on forward and then it'll be because that's of the devil and go home and beat your wife. It always ends up with your wife getting beaten. I don't know. So the poor woman never said a chance. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. Paul writes, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Well, it kind of makes sense. Some of them, some of them were just blatantly stupid. It kind of made sense. And, and their false humility and their self-imposed worship, false humility and their harsh treatment of the body. You know, anything that was hard had to be good. You know, it's kind of like, you remember, you geezers my age, when we grew up, if if medicine tasted good, it couldn't possibly work. Remember? So it had to taste horrible. And the more horribly it tastes, whoa, that's got to work. <laughs> it's just like, what the heck? You know, so, you know, so the more, the more miserable, you know, you beat your body and stuff, and, then, and there's some truth in that in the scriptures that Paul talks about. But this harsh treatment of the body doesn't actually, he says, he says that any of it, none of it lacks any value in, none of it has any value in restraining sensual indulgence. It doesn't do you any good. It doesn't help you live a more Christian life. Even though it seems to make sense, it doesn't help anything. It's just stupid. And you think because of this, this is somehow, you know, and now, in this place, not only evangelicals, but you talk about harsh treatment of the body, and here again I'm going to pick on Catholics just because they're a big, easy target. Uh, but, 
you know, and again, I'm not anti, but we're not into penance where you go around and you beat yourself to make God happy with you. I don't quite understand that. You know, I, I was in Mexico City at some big cathedral and the deal was you had to crawl on your knees all the way through the plaza into the church saying a rosary at every so many feet. And these people lined up to it. And their knees were all bloodied and stuff like that. You know what I'm talking about, right? And, and we just saw at Christmas time these guys in the Philippines. They have themselves crucified, you know, and stuff like that because they're, they're convinced the harsh treatment of the will somehow lead to a more holy life. What Paul's saying, the absurdity of it, it doesn't help you live a more holy life at all. None of it, okay? And in this case, not just the Catholics, but the evangelicals with the same kind of thinking, you know, just, you know, that's what we're thinking. You know, if something tastes too good, it must be sinful, right? Some of those phrases, right? You see commercials like, you know, our, our cake tastes so good, it must be sinful. You got a little demon, ah, you know, or something like that. And this kind of thinking is, where does that all come from? It comes from decades of this kind of thinking. Uh, John Wesley, Methodist, I like the Methodists, I like everybody. <laughs> but John Wesley was convinced that if his ta- food tasted good, it had to be wrong. So his intentionally t- eat lousy food. He was convinced that's why he lived so long. He lived in his 80s and he wrote in his diary, I read his, uh, well, his full diaries, like volumes. The man kept a record of every day of his life. And it's published. I mean, it's fascinating. So there's an abridged mini version. <laughs> that's what I read. <laughs> He's not that big, not, no! Nah! But it was fascinating. I mean, he was a devout man, and God used him in wonderful ways. I mean, it's an incredible story, but, you know, there's a couple of things that, you know, <laughs> John was a little odd, <laughs> and, and he was convinced that he uh, lived a long life because he ate really crappy-tasting food. Oh, my God, who'd want to live a long life if you <laughs> cried? <laughs> I'll check out a few years earlier. Give me a bacon cheeseburger. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, but they could, could, you could get, you know, it wasn't holy somehow if you could enjoy it, this, this depriving of the body. Now, I get it. There is a part where you need to control yourself, and I, we preach and teach that. But at times, people kind of go over the line. Those who go over the line always debate they haven't gone over the line, but, you know, or they think the harsher you're being to your physical body, the holier somehow that you're being, and, and it's really not. Uh, John, by the way, he, uh, he f- had a miserable marriage. <laughs> Horrifying. <laughs> she, you know, now historically, it was like he married the Wicked Witch of the West. Okay, because this woman would, he'd be up preaching stuff, he'd go up there and grab him by the hair and pull him out of the pulpit and <laughs> yell and scream at him. Like, and the knock has always been against her for being crazier in a loon. But now as a mature man, and knowing what I know, a man who thought eating a sandwich too tasty was a sin, you can imagine how fun he was in a sack, right? (laughs) I am not kidding. I mean, right? Do the math. The more I think about it, I think he was the one who was proud. She was probably mad as a hornet being neglected by him all the time. I'd have drug him out of the pulpit too, for heaven's sakes. Funny when you start hearing the rest of the story on this stuff, right? Anyway, who else can I pick on? Pentecostals. Let's get them in. Jimmy Swaggart. You guys remember Jimmy Swaggart? 
Now, he was blatantly anti-Catholic. He was mean to them. There's no reason for that kind of nonsense. But Swaggart was really harsh on preaching against any kind of sin and all that and just discipline and fasting and all this kind of stuff. And he was a hardcore Pentecostal. And of course, we know the story of Jimmy Swaggart. At one point, he was the most listened to evangelist on television. This was before a lot of Christian television had really taken off. Uh, it was debated, you know, Schuler, what's his name? Robert Schuler on Sunday morning had a huge audience. Some say, well, he had a bigger audience, but in terms of certainly any Pentecostals, I mean, Swagger was, some of you guys remember, was huge, massively huge, and, uh, and had in these big revivals, and he was, you know, good old-fashioned Pentecostal, mean as a rattlesnake, hammering all these sins and stuff, and then only to learn, sadly, that the man visits prostitutes. And, of course, he lost his whole ministry over that whole deal. What does that say to you? What Paul said, all these things lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. It doesn't help you be any holier. Uh, I know hardcore holiness people. I had, some, I had a friend, a really close friend, hardcore. He was a pastor and believed women should never cut their hair because that was a sin and they should always never wear pants because you sinners are wearing pants while you're sending women out here and... You know, just, I mean, they were just, you know, because, you know, you'll, you'll lust after women in pants. I lust after women in good-looking dresses, you know, in pants. <laughs> Coming to bag your pair of pants, what do I care? And, you know. Anyway, real so you debate me and stuff like that. Guy, finally, he's caught having an affair with like six different women in his church, you know. Now, do I hate the guy? No, I didn't hate him. Felt sorry for what he was doing and stuff and the price that he paid for all that stupidity. But it all goes back to all that stuff lacks any value in restraining sensual indulgence. In fact, you can almost take it to the bank. The people that seem the hardest on this are the ones who wind up being the most guilty of it. Because they're trying to make something that it's not real and it's not right. And it doesn't help you live a holier life doing this. Now, when I talk about what he's saying, do not touch your, you know, we're talking legalism, where you're helping God out by keeping all these rules to keep him away from stuff that might lead to people playing in the street. Okay, that's that kind of thinking. He's not talking about that there's no rights or wrong in Christianity, because clearly there are. He's going to mention some of them in just a minute. Basic Christian morality is very clear. It's pretty simple. Uh, sexual immorality, uh, lying, stealing, anger, bitterness. Here's a handful of things. That's basic Christian morality. We're not supposed to do those things. But beyond that, we don't have a lot of rules. Christianity isn't driven by rules. There are people who come along who add rules to help you stay away from the list, but now they become legalists, and they start adding, and some of them are just stupid and dumb as bricks, and it doesn't help any of that stuff anyway. The more they lean on that, it seems the more they get sucked up in this anyway. Uh, so it's, it's not helpful. So well, what do we do? How, how can we live a, a righteous life? How can we avoid, you know, Christian immorality and things that we shouldn't get? Well, the very next verse. Now it's the next chapter, but remember, they didn't write in chapters. He says, since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above 
where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. I guarantee, absolutely guarantee, stinking guarantee, whatever I'm trying to say. <laughs> Make it up as I go. If you struggle with sin in your life, it's because of what you do with this. Your head, you're suffering from stinking thinking. If you are thinking inappropriate things, bad things, anger things, bitter things, nasty, and it's amazing. You know, very few times do you just do something that you never thought of before. Right? You know, I had an affair. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Just... Yeah, I think you kind of rehearsed that a long time before you got there. All right? In fact, some of you rehearse all the time. Not, not necessarily, I hope you're not that, but if you do, you need to stop. But just how you react to people. You rehearse that any job. Well, that guy ever said something like that to me, I'd punch him right in the face. You know, stupid idiots. I'm never going to take that kind of ass. And all of a sudden, you get in a situation, you punch somebody in the face. I don't know what happened, Pastor. <laughs> well, I know what happened. You rehearsed that a million times. Well, so, so I'm just going to tell them my mind. I'm going to curse them. You know what I'm talking about. Don't look at me in that tone of voice, all right? You rehearse this nonsense. We rehearse these things over and over and over. And then we do them and we're shocked. Shocked that we did them. I don't know why you did it. I'll tell you why you did it. Because you rehearsed it over and over and over and over again in your head. Now here's the thing that we think about thinking. I'll tell you what I think about thinking and how we think about it. We think that it doesn't matter, and my thoughts are just, just random thoughts. It doesn't, doesn't, and I can't control what I think. Uh, contraire. We can control what we think. And in fact, if you don't control what you think, I guarantee you, you will end up breaking the list. And either sexual immorality, or uh, uh, and bitterness, and anger, and unforgiveness, and cursing, or whatever these different things, it's going to happen to you because you play it all out here ahead of time. You want to live a successful Christian life, you don't need a bunch of legalistic stupidity because that's not going to help you anyway. That's what Paul says. There, it has, lacks any value in restraining sexual, sensual indulgence or any kind of sexual sins or all, any of these sins. It doesn't help you. We think because we're denying ourselves and we're punishing ourselves and following all the rules of the legalists that somehow that's going to keep us out of trouble. It's not going to keep you out of trouble. It just delays the inevitable anyway. You want to make a difference in your life? Change the way you think. Because you can, in fact, control the way that you think. Now, when I say control, I'm not saying like a light switch, where it's, okay, I'm not going to think bad things. I'm going to think good When I say control, it's more like one army controlling the other army. And we do that through battles. And you battle it out. I mean, you'll find it can be a real struggle. Some of you are just obsessed by fear. Do you know why you're so fearful? Because you rehearse it in your head. Fear doesn't just happen. Here's how you get fearful. You put a movie in your head and you play out a scenario and you just know it's going to be hor horrible, okay? Your 17-year-old your is driving a car and it's raining. Oh, no. Oh, no. And your picture in your mind, he's crashing and running over people and chickens and stuff and being arrested and he's in the hospital and, and it's going to be horrible. And, you roll, and then you're just, you're just beside yourself. Oh, oh, oh. Pastor, I'm so fearful. I know. Stop it. Control the way you think for heaven. No, it's not that you have to be stupid. If it's dangerous, you need to. But I'm not talking about, I'm talking about people. That are, it's beyond. They're like crazy people. 
Wonderful people. Some of, them, some of my best friends I've known over the years are crazy as far as I'm concerned. And I love them dearly. And if I tell you you're crazy, that means you're probably really crazy. So, look where you start. All right. And just fearful and obsessed because they always assume the worst and they play it out in their heads. And the unforgiveness, you know why the unforgiveness is there? Because you keep rehearsing it. You don't forget it. You keep reliving what that person did to you or what that person said to you or the fact that lady cheated you out of 47 cents on your change. And you rehearse it over and over and over. You just become it. If you don't stop, you're going to turn into a real grumpy old lady. All right? Are you listening to me? Somebody say amen. amen. These are people, this doesn't happen. These people don't get this way ah, by accident. No, their whole life is rehearsing. Ah, 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 ah. The people who tend to be sweet little ladies and sweet little men are those who don't do that. They put intentionally, they think, positive things and good things and from a Christian standpoint scriptural things and whatsoever things are pure and whatsoever things are lovely and whatsoever things are of good report all these things think on these things the Bible tells us to because when you change the way you think that will make a huge difference in the way that you live so you want to change stuff set your mind on things above not on earthly things all right for you died and we've talked a lot about that and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. We're supposed to be dead from all that stuff. When Christ is who, who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Think about that. Therefore, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he goes through the nasty list. These are the things. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Those are all four, pretty much the same thing. And he starts with that. Why? Because that is one of the biggies. Most people, most men overwhelmingly struggle with that. Women can be different. It depends. You get a hundred women in a room and ask them their greatest struggles and temptations, and you'll get 75 different answers. You get a hundred men in a room and say, what's your greatest temptation? You'll get the one answer. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's just, it's a man thing. It's like, ah. Put to death this stuff. And then he ends up with greed. <laughs> Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Don't be messing with this stuff. Now, a lot of people don't like to hear about the wrath of God. Well, even if you look at it from the positive side, you won't get blessed. That seems to be rather popular today. God, and you won't. You want God to bless you? And listen. <laughs> we talk about this all the time. I was just with a at a black church in California. Uh, these people were great. I'm getting this pastor to come up and speak to us in September. You're going to love this guy. Great, great church. But just the frustrations that we have as a pastor, I mean, it's not like we don't talk about this stuff. He said, well, do you talk about the? I, I do all the time. And it wouldn't surprise me if a huge percentage of our congregation is all fornicating their little brains out. Because we talk to y'all. Hopefully none of you. <laughs> just you guys on TV. <laughs> But there's a lot of people, and we meet with them. almost every single person we meet with when we're just dealing with marriage with them. Are you guys already having sex with each other? Yeah. You know, you're supposed to do that. Oh, I know, but we don't think it really messy. Everybody thinks that rules don't apply to them. Now, do we hate them? No. Does God hate them? No. Is God going to bless them and help them really succeed in their life? No. You can't keep breaking these rules over and over again. Besides, there's no need for it. You want to have sex? Just marry the girl. Doesn't make any sense to me. Then you can have six of your eyeballs pop out. What do you care then? 
But up in heaven, just, you know, there's no reason to break these rules. But as much as we preach this, people say, he's not talking to me. He's talking to somebody else. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming at a minimum. You ain't getting blessed. At the maximum, you're going to get your butt kicked. Besides, he says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. See, there's supposed to be a used to. Once you come to Christ, there's supposed to be a change. Because you used to do these things, now that you become a follower of Christ, you should stop doing things that are blatantly wrong. Somebody say amen. Doesn't mean you hate people, but we need to challenge each other. Hey, come on. But now you must also rid yourselves of all of these things, such as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being created in the knowledge in the image of its creator. All right, that's the Christian experience. This is basic Christian morality. This, and the list changes a little bit one way or the other, but that's pretty much repeated over and over again, this list in the New Testament. This is stuff we're supposed to do and not do. There's people who say, oh, this whole thing about don't taste, don't touch, all this legalism, uh, they think any of this is legalism. It's not. They think it's okay. You can do anything you want. doesn't matter. Grace covers everything. No, no, no. That's a, that's a, that's a violation of grace. That's, that's not what this is about. The grace of God, the Bible teaches us, teaches us to say no to ungodliness, things that are ungodly. What kind of things? These kind of things where you control yourself. There's supposed to be a change. Put off the old way. At some point, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you make a decision. I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm going to put on this new way of living and intentionally walk in that way. You do it by how, what you think about, uh, what, what you focus on, uh, and quite frankly, to your credit, those of you who come to these Bible studies are leap years ahead of the people who come to church six times a year. And there's a big chunk of our church that comes to church about six times a year, whether they need it or not. All right? These are the people, their lives tend to be an unmitigated disaster. As I've told you, you want your life to get better? Get God's word of you. Go to church. Come on Wednesday nights. Your life will be dramatically better and more blessed than if you don't. Most of you have gotten here, certainly have gotten that message. As you look around you, there's a lot of empty chairs. <laughs> you know, you know, people, you know, there a lot of people's version of Christianity is just fire insurance. You know, they come to church to pay the premium. Keep them out of hell. You know, that's right. Fire insurance, you know. Make a payment on my policy. Let's go. It's been a couple of months. Let's go to church. Pay for the policy. Throw in three dollars in the offering. Praise the Lord. You know, what are you gonna do? I, you know, you can't beat them. You know, I mean, but we keep challenging them. Don't live that way. Do this intentionally. Ay, 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 ay. And when it comes to this stuff, he says there's no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. Slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. What he's trying to say, doesn't matter who you are. When it comes to this stuff, we're all the same. We're all the same in this. We are sinners in need of a Savior. But now that we come to the Savior, we need to intentionally live to please the Savior and not continually to live in ways that are offensive to him is the point. All right. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. See, it's a different picture of the previous list, right? The greed, the anger, the yelling, immorality. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord 
forgave you. Why does he say we need to bear with each other? Have you met other Christians? <laughs> Have you met your pastor? At some point, people will take us off. Somebody will say something. They will do something. Something will happen. And you'll just get mad. And you'll want to take them out. Okay? That's why Paul says, bear with each other. Cut some slack. Well, they shouldn't do that. I know. Pray for them. Be nice. Forgive them. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You want God to forgive you? You need to forgive other people. There's a message that people still don't get. That's stunning to me. The number one reason I forgive people, feel compelled to forgive people, is because I need forgiveness. Christians who tell me, I just can't forgive, don't get it. I was recently talking to a lady on, on, online. She said, I, I can't forgive people. I said, do you know what happens to you when you don't forgive people? You pray it whenever you say the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us as we forgive others. In other words, if you don't forgive others, God is not going to forgive you. Do you know what happens to people that their sins don't get forgiven? It's not good. All right? You intentionally, why? The, the whole motivator to forgive people is so that we can get forgiveness. Quite frankly, if you don't think you need forgiveness, you don't get this. I am acutely aware of my need <laughs> for forgiveness. Therefore, I am compelled to forgive people. I don't want anybody, I don't want to hold anything against anybody. You mean there's people you don't like? Yeah, there's all kinds of people I don't like. <laughs> but I don't hate them. I just don't think I'm forgiveness. I just try to stay away from them. <laughs> okay? I mean, that's, you know, it's hard. And I got to grow on that too because you got to love everybody, which we'll see in just a second. But, you know, it doesn't mean... That, Everybody's going to make you happy all the time. There's going to be people who will tick you off. That's what forgiveness is. We are compelled to forgive people because somebody's going to tick you off. They're going to do it. If you have been coming to the church and nobody has ticked you off yet, you just haven't been coming that long. <laughs> somebody. It might be me. Somebody, somewhere, somehow is going to disappoint you. And you need to suck it up, buttercup. You know, the reason why so many people in the beginning are so happy to be part of a church like this is because no one has offended them yet. It's true. Their version of friends is they only have friends who always like them or always approve of everything they do. The minute you tell them you no longer approve of what they do, they pull away from you. They don't want to be your friend. It's kind of like Facebook. Stupid thing. Well, that's one thing. You know, it's all faces. You don't see and you can act out you're stupid on there. But... They do this in real life. The minute that someone disapproves of you, you know, I don't like you wearing pink. Well, you just laugh me off. That's what, that's, that's what I would do. <laughs> Shut up, I don't care, get over it. But there are people, he said he didn't like me wearing pink and I can't do that anymore. And they, they leave, you know. They stay here just long enough till somebody offends them. If you need to get to the point where people can offend you, where people can hurt you, where people can insult you and you just suck it up, buttercup, and you let it go. Thanking God, Father, forgive me like I forgave that guy. See, we become the standard of our own forgiveness. Are you catching this? You become the standard of your own forgiveness. You want God to forgive you? You should be able to say, God, forgive me like I forgave that guy. A lot of people can't say that. 
And I think they're in a bad place. I think they're in a dangerous place. You hang on to stuff and you don't let people. <laughs> There's people, they hold on to sometimes for years. I remember once, Jaws, <laughs> with Doug Layton. You remember Doug Layton? All right, okay. Crazy Doug. Always listening. Anyway, and we were in somebody's house and we were arguing about something. I can't remember. I told him to stuff it because I thought he was full of it, whatever. I know you can't imagine me saying that to somebody, but. So anyways, it was no big deal. So years later, we ran into the couple who that was their home. And as soon as they saw me, saw me, they turned their back on me. They wouldn't talk to me. What happened? You had an argument in our house. I didn't even argue with them. They were just mad because I had an argument with Crazy Doug. <laughs> and they carried this for years who lives like this this is crazy i would hate to be these kind of people carrying on carrying each offense remembering the day and the time and the barometric pressure and the direction of the wind that time in the afternoon when you did such and such to someone else i knew and mad at me i didn't remember their names i just walked away people are crazy don't live like that. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love is the ultimate thing. Because when you really love people, that's, that's when you cut them slack. Even if they take you off, you know. We do that with certain groups of people, usually with family, because we feel obligated. But we'll tolerate, especially your kids, right? You can tolerate all kinds of Kid can turn into an axe murderer. <laughs> He's still my baby. I love him, you know. And, and okay, you know. But they'll only do that with very close members of the family. They won't do much beyond anyone. They certainly don't do it with their spouse. You know, women will forgive their kids if they're axe murderers, but they'll still be mad at their husband because he didn't take out the garbage 10 years ago. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, there's certain things that people will pass that kind of commitment to, but it's a very, very, don't be like that. Open it up. Open it up. Be that way towards everybody. Love everybody. Be kind to everybody. Even when you run into people who violate all these rules and they're not Christians and they're living all kinds of wife stealing and all that, you don't need to hate people. Be kind. They're, they're walking without gods. Just love them. Be nice to them. I have friends that do all these things. <laughs> all the bad list. We don't spend a lot of time together, but they're my friends, and I'll go up and talk to them. They need to get saved. All right. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I love this one. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, that word rule, if you will look, look it up or just go have like an amplified Bible, which is big. They use lots of words to explain what the original meaning there. The word rule there has to do, they, they use the word umpire. Let the peace of Christ play the umpire in your heart. Now, this is really important because this will help a lot of you, especially if you're young in your faith. Because sometimes you think, well, you know, how do I know if I should do something or I shouldn't do something? Let the peace of Christ play the umpire in your heart. Now, here's the thing with an umpire, unless he's a psycho, they, they don't say anything until you do something wrong, Right? 
They're not constantly telling you how to play the game. They just blow the whistle when you do something wrong. You will find a lot of times the Holy Spirit will seem awfully quiet to you, but a lot of times that's just because you're doing the right thing and you're walking in love and doing what you should always should do and living out your life for the Christian. But at some point, all of a sudden, you start acting a certain way. If you're being sensitive at all, you will feel in your heart something. The umpire blows the whistle on you. The Holy Spirit will blow the whistle on you if you're listening at all. You should be able to sense it and feel it. And, uh, and that's when you know, you know you need to make things right. Or sometimes you're about to make a decision that maybe you know, you're just doing it to the best of your ability and all of a sudden something doesn't quite feel right here. That's the Holy Spirit blowing the whistle on you. You know, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. That, that kind of stuff will keep you sometimes from bad decisions. Most, most of the input, quite frankly, in my life over the years of I, as I've made decisions stuff has usually been in that context. I won't do something because I really felt in my heart like the Holy Spirit blew the whistle on me. And not so much, I mean, a lot of people, what they want is the dramatic Old Testament prophet where the Lord appears to them and shows them a vision of what they should do and go and change your job and work at McDonald's because Burger King I've, has lost my favor and I'm signing on McDonald's and I want you to work over here at the Golden Arches. It's a sign from heaven. You know, an angel appears and, you know, music and sound effects and lights. And then you know to do the will of God. There's people who actually, they, that's their version of trying to know the will of God. The truth of the matter is, use wisdom. Be smart. Try and make the best decision you can and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Pray about everything, but you don't need a big revelation before you do things. Quite frankly, if you're about to make a wrong decision, if you're being sensitive at all, the Holy Spirit will call you on it. And the whistle will go off. And I shouldn't do that. But some of us, man, you're about to say something you know you shouldn't say to somebody. If you're listening at all, there's the Holy Spirit in the <laughs> Throwing flags. Don't do that. And then you do it anyway, all right? And then you got to pay the price, all right? But if you were listening to the Spirit of God in you, blow the whistle, you would know to avoid things. It's kind of a neat, neat analogy. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. We should be walking in this peace of Christ in us. If you don't feel peaceful, something might, might be wrong. Uh, sometimes you can't tell. That's when you just have to go to some brothers or your pastors or whatever and ask for some advice. Sometimes what we think is the lack of peace is just fear, right? And you'd be able to see the difference. Uh, until you really get far along in your faith, some of those things are kind of hard to figure out, but, but ask for advice. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Why are these things important? Because all of this stuff will keep your mind on earth and spiritual things. If you're the kind of person, you're encouraging one another and, and you're talking to each other and let's together and get together and, and pray together about some issues or come over to my house and do a Bible study. All these things that you do are ways of constantly keeping your head in a good place because by nature, if you don't intentionally put your head in a good place, it will by nature, without any work on your part, go to a bad place. That's automatic. You have to actually make an effort to get the head in a good place. And that's why he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with gratitude in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus Christ, 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the Christian experience. This is how we walk with God, okay? Now, he gets into uh, <laughs> basic instruction for Christian families. Wives, not a popular verse, but wives, submit yourself to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? I don't think it's nearly as complicated as you think. Husbands, love your wives. Oddly enough, men don't go, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? No, that's pretty obvious what that means. Love your wife. Don't be harsh with them. Don't be a jerk. And all the women said, amen. Praise God. All right. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And by the way, this is children. Children, children, children. Once you become an adult, you don't have to obey your parents. You need to honor your parents and you need to be respectful to your parents. But I know grown men and women who still won't act or do something because mom doesn't say it's okay. That's just crazy to me. Well, the Bible says you're supposed to obey your parents. Yet to children it does. Not to an adult. Now you need to be respectful and you can be as respectful as you tell them no. <laughs> but... There's people that won't do things because mom and dad still. You're an adult. You're 25 years old. You're 35. You're 45, 55 years old and still acting one way or the other based on what mom says. You need to cut the umbilical cord, Jack, because that's a little creepy. All right? And I know couples like this, you know, young people that they won't get married. 32 years old. Been dating for five years. Why won't you get married? My, my parents dis disapprove. Who cares? Well, the Bible says we have to obey. No, it doesn't. Children obey. Adults respect. You respectfully invite them to the wedding, and if they don't show up, who cares? All right? People are just, some of this stuff gets out of balance. Fathers, do not embitter your children. I always thought it was the other way around. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is fathers can be too harsh. And we can push too hard and come down too intensely. Do not embitter your children, dads, or they will become discouraged. And uh, say, well, how can I tell? Pay attention. Listen to your wife. You'll see it. All right, if your wife's calling you on the way that you're disciplining, maybe you need to step back a little bit. Listen. All right. Well, she's supposed to submit. Now, that's, that's not the context there. doesn't mean you get to be the king and walk around like Mussolini. All right? And abuse everybody. She needs to respect you. You need to respect her. You're supposed to be doing this as a team. Listen. Don't be too harsh with them. And it's, and it's easy to do. I think any man in here, most men, will at some point, who's had children at some point, will say, yeah, I, I, was, I was too harsh. I, I was too mad. I was too this. And, you know, and I certainly had many times. At times I'd go to my kids and I'd apologize. I'm sorry. You make me want to kill you, but I'm sorry. <laughs> right, I, I shouldn't have gotten so angry. I shouldn't have, you know, just, it's okay. This idea of a godly man doesn't mean that you can't say you're sorry. In fact, one of the strongest things a man can do is admit when he was wrong. Amen. Okay. So uh, don't do that. Okay, next week we'll pick up uh, what to do with your slaves. 
Actually, there is a good correlation today to those verses. But you'll see, he's talking practical Christianity. This is how we live out our lives. This is how we respond uh, to each other. All right, anyway, let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for your kindness and faithfulness to us. We thank you for your word. Help us to grow from it. And Lord, help us with this challenge, Lord, to be intentional about how we think. It's easy, Lord. Just let the cares of this life just suck the life out of us. I deal with it myself. Sometimes thinking too much about this or worrying too much about that or not paying attention to what's going in my head. It can end up in discouragement and frustration. Help us, Lord, to intentionally be in a good place. That we have to work at, Lord, because you know the easy thing is always to end up in a bad place in our heads. Help us to take the advice here. Forgive people. Be intentional. Be kind. Be as spiritual as we can intentionally. Putting in spiritual input into our lives. Let the Holy Spirit guide and lead us by walking in the peace of the Holy Spirit. And help us to walk this out in our homes as you want us to. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. See you Sunday.